Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Rado Palomario, Managing Director of Outlook Global. Our mission is to connect the supply chain ecosystem globally by bringing forward the most interesting leaders in the industry. And it's my pleasure to have with us today Mike Zayon, who is the founder of Plug and Play Supply Chain and Logistics Innovation Platform out of Sunnyvale, California. They have become the largest uh, supply chain business accelerator in the world. And it basically works with, they work with 30 corporate partners and a lot of startups to help them build their businesses. Some of their corporate clients and innovation um, supporters include Schneider Electric, Lufthansa, Prologis, Adidas, Walmart, DHL, FedEx, Shell, or DB Schenker. And Mike's innovation platform belongs to the wider network of plug and play, which of course spans across startups in a few other verticals, including fintech, insurtech, mobility, Internet of Things, FMCG, etc. They have about 6,000 startups and 280 official corporate partners, and they've created the ecosystems in many industries and many companies and have raised over 7 billion in funding with successful exits, including Dropbox, PayPal, or SoundHound. Mike, thanks for making the time, and it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, Radu. Really appreciate uh, taking some time to chat with you today. Uh, so let's start maybe with, with the first question in terms of how did you end up at, uh, at Plug and Play, and, and why specifically supply chain and, and starting the supply chain practice of Plug and Play? Yeah, so uh, I started at Plug and Play about around five years ago, uh, where I was hired to work with different corporate partners in a variety of different industries. Some of the ones you mentioned, like mobility and IoT and insurance. And uh, after two and a half years of being there, I realized that uh, there was definitely a need uh, for innovation uh, in the supply chain and logistics industry, and that uh, there's a huge market opportunity to invest in startups, uh, scaling in this sector. And at the time, we saw a lot of startups uh, like Flexport, for example, uh, that presented at one of our first events before they raised uh, their very large round of funding from SoftBank, um, where we saw a ton of kind of activity in the space. And I saw a lot of interest from corporate partners like uh, Lufthansa Cargo and ExxonMobil uh, around areas like, uh, where's where's my stuff? Uh, looking at visibility in the supply chain, looking at, uh, yeah, traceability, IoT tracking, uh, but also trends like blockchain in the supply chain. So saw a ton of activity there and just basically uh, had the opportunity to start the supply chain log logistics program early on with a, a few corporate partners. And, uh, and now it's grown into a very large program with a global presence. Uh, so we have offices uh, primarily in Silicon Valley is our largest headquarter office. And then we also have uh, our office here in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, where, where we support Walmart, Tyson Foods, J.B. Hunt, and Georgia Pacific. And then our office in Hamburg, Germany, uh, where we support uh, partners like Shell, D.B. Schenker, uh, Chibo, and, and quite a few other European 3PLs and, and other corporate partners. So uh, we, we've now opened up uh, and are building our stronger presence in Shanghai and Singapore and Asia, and uh, are really excited to kind of be a leading player in the global supply chain, connecting both corporations and startups together uh, from all around the world. And I know that your selection process is quite an interesting one, and, and also it's a it's a mind-boggling one in terms of number of startups. So I was that apply. So I was reading that you get on average about two thousand startups 
that come to you guys to uh, to be part of the acceleration pro process and uh, you know anything from artificial intelligence analytics supply chain optimization warehouse automation blockchain traceability all of that now when you have 2000 startups and for all the people listening to us what are your criteria i mean how do you decide which of these makes sense to uh, to get on the on the program and which not yeah, uh, so at Plug and Play, we're very corporate focused. So we like to see kind of work with our corporate partners to find out which technology areas are important to them. So whether it's around some of the areas we discussed like machine learning or analytics or just different ways to automate or optimize uh, within the supply chain or, or provide better visibility or tracking. Uh, those are some of the big trends that we look at. And essentially what our job is to do is to make it easier for our corporate partners to filter these startups to find startups that will solve immediate challenges for the corporate partners uh, and, and provide them quick wins because it's very difficult for all these corporations to filter thousands of startups. So that's where we can come in and, and do the, a lot of that, that heavy lifting and meet all the startups and at plug and play. We have a very large team. So we have uh, across all of our different uh, verticals, we have about 600 people. A hundred of those are just kind of venture, what we call them ventures associates. So what they do is they uh, analyze and they meet startups on a day-to-day -day basis and look at them for investment. Uh, but then they also uh, look at making introductions uh, to our corporate network of now over 300 uh, major corporations from around the world. And uh, essentially, uh, yeah, we want to always analyze and figure out what the trends are and make the best connections we can possible. And when we're looking at these startups, one is we, we validate uh, the companies that they solve a challenge for the corporate partners that we have. And then we evaluate their team. We see that if, if it's a strong founding team, that's where we'd want to invest uh, our money into. And then also we, we look at things like how much traction they're getting in the market and, and also like, is it a specific proprietary technology? So we kind of uh, weigh all these things and uh, see uh, and, and test them out and see if they're going to get traction among the corporate partners that we have. And if they do, then we, we normally bring them into the program and, and then a handful of the startups that get accepted into our program also get uh, funding from us and our, our venture arm as well. Understood. Um, and basically when you say and when you speak about, um, let's talk about team. So the team element, how would you define a strong founding team yeah so by a strong founding team i mean it's it's very difficult uh, to build a startup so that's the most important thing that we can really uh, look at is uh, does this founding team show resilience are they able to find product market fit pivot their business models if needed are they going to give up it when things are, are tough and and ultimately we, we really want to find teams that are passionate about their product that We'll kind of do anything to make sure it's successful and those are the ones that ultimately get the most funding but there's a lot of things that we need to look at around the team is one do they have a good technical background uh, does the cto uh, stand above other uh, technical founders and, and can all actually build a strong technology but then do they also probably even nowadays more importantly have a strong business background can they actually articulate uh, their product to investors uh, and customers and uh, grow their customer, uh, their, their product from a business dev development perspective. So we, we want to see teams that can complement each other that, uh, that ultimately work cohesively. It's kind of like also building a sports team where you don't want to have everyone doing the same thing. You want to have people uh, with synergy that can ultimately 
complement each other and, and uh, really make sure that the, the team wins instead of just having uh, a few individual strengths. And tell us a little bit in terms of the collaboration with the corporates and also the, the whole model of the accelerator, right? And the whole model of plug and play. You know, how, do you, how do you sustain it? Do you get a cut when you invest in the business? Do you also get, uh, obviously, uh, the corporates to contribute as a, I don't know, as a, for them to be members? I'm just curious also from the financial model perspective, how does that work? Who, who gives the funding? Um, all, all those kind of uh, effects as well. Yeah, so, so we have a very uh, developed uh, corporate engagement model where we bring on a variety of different corporate partners. So generally, there's economies of scale. By bringing on multiple corporations, it's more effective because they're able to ultimately uh, engage with more startups from the corporate perspective, and then it's also more affordable for everyone involved. So we like to diversify the costs and just make it uh, affordable uh, for everyone and, and make sure there's buy-in from the corporate perspective. But then from the startup perspective, um, we, we ultimately have a very uh, unique model where uh, we, we do not charge the startups anything. We realized after years of doing this that uh, startups are not the best customer, that it's not always easy to charge them uh, financially to be in these programs. And then we also uh, realized that it's, it's most effective uh, to not also take equity from any of the startups uh, just for being accepted into our program. So oftentimes we get these startups that come into our program and they say things to us like, how did I get involved with this? This is too good to be true. Or um, this is like the, something that's really changed our business because we're ultimately making these introductions to the largest companies in the world and finding the right people within these organizations to pilot and implement their solutions. So it can save them a lot of time, and which is kind of our ultimate goal is we, even though the startups don't pay, the, pay us, we see them as our customers because ultimately uh, we want their time and we want them to be engaged. And, and we do have this large corporate network where we want to make sure that we're showing value to them. So it's kind of this win-win-win model. And, uh, and then in, in addition to that, because we don't take equity, uh, if a startup does want an investment and that they're at the right stage uh, for us, which is generally seed or series A level, then we can negotiate an investment case by case within the startup. Because each of the startups have different requirements. They're all at different stages. Some of them have, uh, they need a, a larger amount of funding. Some of them um, don't really want to have that much funding, but they, they might want us to contribute a little bit just to put our, our name on it. So, I mean, it's always a case by case thing that we can negotiate with each of the founders. And, uh, and then that we find that we make a lot of the best investments by doing that. In terms of uh, the most interesting startups that you're supporting at the moment, and it, it, it maybe is not a fair question, but because uh, I don't want necessarily want you to discriminate now that I think about it. But tell, <laughs> us, tell us a little bit maybe about certain examples, you know, maybe some examples of, of companies that you're supporting. What do they do? Um, uh, some of the more, you know, let's say the ones that have gained the more, most uh, traction, as you, you called it, uh, just so that our listeners also yeah. have an idea. Yeah, so there's many ways that you can define uh, traction with the startups, whether it's raising funding or whether it's uh, raising uh, additional customers. Um, so, I mean, we've had a lot of success in all these different areas uh, from the supply chain and logistics startups that we work with. And again, we're working end to end across the supply chain. So looking at technologies 
all the way from the mine to last mile deliveries at the consumer's doorstep and everywhere in between in the supply chain. So it's a very broad array of companies. I'll name just a couple that I think are specifically interesting that are getting a lot of traction right now. One of them is a company that was founded in Silicon Valley uh, that we actually invested into along with Google's uh, AI fund, which is called Gradient Ventures, and they're called Cognac. So Cognac, uh, not like the drink, but there's an I in the middle. Um, so, so essentially they uh, provide this AI computer vision solution where uh, you can essentially do these inspections and tag into any, any kind of camera system and they can do a real-time inspection. They're, they're, they're able to train this AI to inspect for many different things. Uh, they're also doing kind of bill of ladings and trade documents at this point, as well as uh, doing inspections for a lot of railroads. So a lot of the railroads have utilized them uh, to inspect in real time whether the train's breaking down and there's a need for predictive maintenance. There's also been major rollouts across America about, with their technology where they can essentially scan people on, tra on uh, trains that might be hiding. Uh, in, in Mexico, for example, there's a, there's a problem where people actually jump onto the trains or camouflage, people don't see them. Uh, so they would normally hire people to, to watch out for this, but their computer vision uh, technology can actually inspect this even better than a human could, which ultimately saves cost uh, for the, uh, the, the different corporations as well, as, uh, as does the, the scanning for people more effectively. So that's a, that's a really interesting company that's gotten a very significant amount of traction uh, through us and, and is really uh, working with a lot of our corporate partners. Uh, as well, there's another company uh, called Shoof Technologies, which we also invested into, uh, that essentially uh, their, their founding team built uh, the Silver Spring Network company, which is the smart grid utility meter that you see on the side of every house. And what they're building is a new kind of wireless uh, standard for connectivity. So they're able to make these inspections within ports, warehouses, uh, manufacturing facilities, and able to uh, detect these, these objects uh, very accurately, have a 10-year battery life, uh, and, and do this through a completely new kind of connectivity standard uh, that, that they've developed. Uh, their vision is to kind of build this solution so that it's as common as Wi-Fi is when you, whenever you walk into a, a house or a, an office, for example. They want Shoof to be tagged into any kind of port or warehouse whenever you're tagged in to track your, your stuff. So those, those are two startups that I, I really like from a kind of attraction and growth perspective that we've engaged a lot over the last few years. But then another company that, that did really well from a venture capital perspective, uh, at least a funding perspective, is a company called Rappi, which is a last mile logistics company uh, from Bogota, Colombia. So they were initially founded under a different business model, but pivoted to making these last mile deliveries. And they have these red backpackers uh, that kind of use bicycles to make last mile deliveries across Latin America. And they actually received uh, $1 billion worth of funding from SoftBank uh, just in the last year. So from a venture capital perspective, that was uh, very successful and they're experiencing quite a lot of growth. And we're really proud to kind of have co-invested in all those companies with top venture firms like Sequoia, uh, but, but also companies, like I mentioned, uh, Kleiner Perkins and, and Google's AI fund, uh, which is Gradient Ventures. Uh, Rappi obviously is, is a big, big story for sure. And um, I might ask you for an introduction to get them on the podcast. I think it's, <laughs> it's obviously the biggest, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in South America. Yeah, more than happy to introduce them. Yeah. So, we we uh, worked with the CEO for many years. Super. I mean, that's, that's quite a success story. And uh, 
um, and, and hopefully in, in many years to come, they'll, they'll continue to grow. I wanted to ask from um, coming back a little bit to the corporates and you mentioned that you're kind of doing the, the round of filtering. So you get the corporate needs and what they want to achieve what they what, what they're trying to achieve or change about their business. And then you try to match make them with the right startups that may have the solution for that. How maybe dwell a little bit more into that, that process. How does that happen? Uh, are there specific areas where corporate partners are more interested in at looking at when working with a startup uh, as opposed to others? Because also when you get a startup, um, of course, you, and you're talking about a DB Schenker or a DHL or you know, Walmart, it's a huge, huge company. So to start implementing a solution, you need to start small. How does this whole process, how do they even decide? I guess I'm trying to formulate the question while I'm asking it, you know, but how, from a corporate perspective, how do they decide which area do I want to work with a startup on? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, and something we're very well positioned at, at Plug and Play is to really be at the forefront of what, what the industry trends are and what these corporations are actually asking for. We really like it when the corporations have this pull uh, within the corporation that they need to solve this challenge. Um, because then it's easy for us to set up a session where we can recommend startups. And when we introduce these startups, it's more likely that the business units are going to pilot and actually move forward with these companies. So that's kind of, rather than pushing them too much around the startups, we're, which we also do because sometimes uh, the corporations don't know what they don't know and they trust us as kind of a, a leading innovation provider uh, to say, okay, this is a startup that's getting a lot of traction. This, you might want to take a look at it. Uh, but, but generally, we really like it to kind of have these structured sessions where we're really solving challenges on behalf of the business units of the corporations. And I mean, we, we really look at uh, a lot of different uh, challenges. We see some big trends like visibility uh, is, is a really big area. I know, uh, for example, like there's a lot of startups that we, we've worked with that have gotten traction like Project 44 or four kites or ocean insights for ocean tracking or even clear metal, for example, uh, are some just the startups that we've engaged with. But I mean, there's a lot of uh, different startups uh, around different areas where we might bring in around very specific sessions and, and ultimately always thinking, how can we solve this corporation's uh, challenge? And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a few areas like whether it's how to automate within a warehouse or how to, uh, really track kind of uh, stuff, whether it's in a truck or a warehouse or a, a port, for example. And ultimately, we really wanna just know kind of which startups will solve these challenges so we can best recommend them and, and keep the good faith uh, with our corporate partners. I'm just wondering also, did you ever get in the position where a corporate, um, a corporate client bought a startup by themselves? Yeah, uh, there's, there's actually been a few uh, acquisitions. Uh, that sometimes we get asked, uh, from by a corporate partner like less than one percent of the time that hey we want to buy this technology um obviously though it's a long process where we really focus on is 70 percent of the time we want to in introduce pilots and uh, potential uh, business development engagements or pocs uh, to the corporate partner so they can just test and potentially further implement the technology and then i would say a, a minor percent of the time some of the corporates also want to invest into the startups where which is something we can always discuss with them as well. Uh, but generally the first step before acquiring or uh, doing a, uh, an investment or a corporate investment into the startups is really to just a pilot and, and uh, test the technology and validate it. That's where a lot of our more successful partners uh, have done it. I know that's kind of the mindset of like Collages Ventures, which is an active partner of ours 
the largest owner of industrial warehouses in the world. And uh, they, they are a very active investor from a corporate perspective in the startups, but, but generally they like to get things started with a pilot. How about, how about uh, in terms of making the difference and what tells you whether uh, you know, a startup is going to make it versus some, some startups that may not make it? And I mean, at the end of the day, uh, in reality, no matter the, the way and the acceleration and everything, um, it's still a numbers game, right? So it's still most of the yep. startups do fail. So in this journey, and you've seen a lot of startups and you work with a lot of startups, what do you see makes the difference between the ones that will make it ultimately and the ones that will fade along the way? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's really hard to say. Um, there's a lot of factors, like everything needs to line up for a startup to really be one of the home runs that we're looking for as a venture capital investor. But we do need to kind of make sure that the, the team is fully engaged, that they're really passionate about uh, their product, uh, that they won't give up, and that uh, ultimately, uh, I would say it takes seven to 10 years for us a lot of times as an early stage investor uh, to see a return from these investments because we only make money as an investor when uh, they get acquired or when they IPO, which is a super long-term thing. So I think we'll see a lot more kind of the success stories down the road, but obviously we want to make sure that kind of all the metrics add up and, and, uh, and, and sometimes we're surprised. I mean, I think being opportunistic from the startup perspective is really important, being flexible uh, and, and willing to pivot and, and find product market fit uh, is something that we see in a lot of startups because they maybe not have the, the perfect product in the beginning, but if they can validate that and work very closely with their customers, those are generally the startups that we find are the most uh, successful down uh, the long term. And, and in terms of, let, let's, let's, let me flip the question. In terms of mistakes you've made, um, what are some of the, what are some of the, maybe you or, I mean, it, it does happen, right? You also select sometimes the, the, the startups that don't work out. So maybe there's a pattern there that you can share also for all the founders listening to us or for all the corporate innovation uh, people listening to us that they could watch, watch out for. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that there's definitely mistakes that we make. Uh, I'd say a lot of startups, they don't uh, kind of give us the returns that we would want is to return our, our capital for making an investment. Uh, there, it's very hard to kind of say what, what, what went wrong, I mean, uh, over, over time, but I would say just kind of looking for those general trends around having a very passionate team uh, that, that we really believe could, could address a very large market uh, and, and ultimately um, potentially hopefully even disrupt or uh, have an enormous impact on the industry that we're really, really looking for these kind of big vision uh, type of entrepreneurs. But, but generally, obviously some of them are going to fail and, and not be successful, uh, but it's, uh, it's hard to point fingers. We, we do like to work with these serial entrepreneurs as well that they don't give up too easily, that they don't have a plan B. They ultimately, uh, they, they're going to make this startup succeed. Otherwise, uh, they have no other choice. They don't even think about kind of the other options. And those are the kind of founders that we really want to want to work with. Burn your bridges. Yeah, that's, that's, a good, uh, that's a good strategy to make sure that, <laughs> that the person carries on no matter what. So I um, could, yeah. could not agree more. What are some of the main principles that you want to instill in your startup's culture? So culture is a big, uh, it's an intangible, but it's a big thing to make or break a company. So 
are there certain principles that you want to make sure they have um, in terms of the way they operate their businesses? Uh, you've mentioned just now yep. that you know don't have a plan B and make sure you 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 work 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 until you make it. But are there some other principles that you want to see in the in your startups in culture? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we we like to have things like integrity uh, being part of the startups culture, for example. If they're telling us they have these numbers, we expect them not to be lying and for them to uh, be telling the truth and, and for them to be respectful of people's time and, and uh, just kind of have that strong business uh, knowledge of like, uh, obviously prioritizing what, which, what meetings are the most important, but trying to stay true to their word and, and uh, following through on what they promise. That's something that's very, very important for us. Uh, we also like to have as I mentioned, very hardworking teams. Um, so building a startup is not easy. Uh, it requires a lot more effort than a traditional job or even working in a large corporation. So uh, we want these entrepreneurs to be very hardworking and put in extra effort and, and to make sacrifices uh, to do everything they can to make sure the business is successful. Uh, we also like to have, um, as I mentioned, passionate teams. So teams that, that uh, really, they, they believe in this. They believe that this will change the world. They believe that this will be a very successful uh, company. And ultimately, once they have this passion, I think it, you can kind of see it when you meet the founding teams and, and, uh, and, and they'll, it just gives them a bit more of an engine. So when times get hard, that they're able to uh, have that underlying passion to make sure that they keep going. And then, yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, just a collaborative uh, team environment is really important uh, that they they work well with others that uh, they they have good interpersonal skills that uh, people want to work with them so they're not too cocky but they still have some sort of humility where they people want to do business with them and and ultimately enjoy kind of their experience working with the company and then and then uh, yeah i mean there's there's a lot of things uh, that we think uh, will make the company successful but then again we're sometimes wrong as well is that Sometimes a founder doesn't have uh, one of these things and they still are successful, but I would say more, more often than not, those are some of the things that we look for uh, when we're, we're putting money and investing into these startups. Mm. And look, I mean, uh, Mike, if you had found the silver bullet that works for all startups, I think, uh, you know, you, you would be a multi-billionaire. So um, <laughs> they're, they're probably, I mean, I think a lot of people have been looking for that silver bullet that works for all, but uh, Luckily, I think, or fortunately, there's no such thing, right? So, um, yeah, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, it's just uh, it's just a combination, and sometimes, like you rightfully said, uh, you might not need all the, or you might not have all the different ingredients, but um, it still works out somehow. So, uh, it's a good, yeah, um, it's a good point. Moving on yeah. to the talent recruitment attracting people side, right? So once a startup grows, they begin to have more and more traction, they have uh, more and more success, they need to start recruiting and hiring. And especially the first hires, the first, I don't know, five, 10 people to add to the business can, can be or are usually critical. Are there certain patterns, advice or principles that you, you think are critical when it comes to hiring the first members of the, of the teams? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I think we really believe in like that uh, hire slow and, and fire fast mentality. So if people aren't meeting their objectives, that uh, it's best to not have them on the team. And then, and then to really be careful about who you bring on to the founding team and, and how you kind of incentivize the team. 
So those are, are really important things. And especially when we look at startups, like how is the equity distributed in the company that can, the cap table can tell you a lot about kind of the foundation of the company. So I would say having kind of a culture that, that kind of is, uh, is resonates with each other, that the people ultimately kind of believe in the vision of the, the whole culture. I think that's, that's really important. And then ultimately, uh, it's good to also have diverse teams. So as I mentioned, uh, teams that complement each other, they have different skill sets, and they, they ultimately have the same vision at the end. So they, they're, they're working towards the same goal. In terms of um, training and, and sort of more formal type of skills that you may want your founders to acquire, and, and some, sometimes I mean, it can be financial skills or financial acumen, I don't know, it can be anything, but are there certain core business or management type of trainings or courses that you want them to go through to make sure they have the fundamentals in place in terms of running a business? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I think overall the biggest thing is to have an open mind um, as an entrepreneur is that a lot of times you have to have flexibility, that it's a, a very agile environment that you have to be able to kind of learn on the fly and just be uh, proactive about things. So uh, if you do something that you think could improve the business, just to go out and do it. And it's kind of better, we, we believe, to have this kind of act now, uh, apologize later uh, type mentality where as a startup, you, you have to make moves and, and even take some risks, um, but it's better to move quickly than not move at all. Um, so that's, that's the game I'd say overall of being a startup is just really uh, be, be opportunistic. Like one of the quotes our, our CEO, Saeed, always says is that uh, his, his father apparently used to always say to him was when opportunity uh, knocks, open the door. Mm. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Um, it's a good one, and it's not it's not always easy to do, even if it sounds very uh, very common sense. Um, yeah. Regarding some of the regarding, and, and you mentioned Project Forty Four, and we actually had the Jet, their CEO, on the podcast, and and some of the most successful startups you had, and and they, I mean specifically just for Project Forty Four, you mentioned a few other names here, Metal and, and Four Kites, and all of that, and they. They've managed to to attract a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of clients. Obviously, the visibility piece is something that's really big for a lot of the corporates at the moment. Um, I wanted to to ask you also from a process perspective from um, one of these big uh, big clients, like you have a Walmart. So let's say they 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 pilot the startup X. There's no name, the startup, right? They pilot the the mm -hmm. solution. It works. They have some good results. What's the typical implementation process and adoption process in a big corporate? How do they typically go about trying to make that as a, almost as an organizational-wide type of uh, initiative that gets implemented across the big organization? Yeah, so, so generally, like the way we work with these companies is, is we try and bring in the relevant uh, champions from, they can bring in business units of the companies that would actually work with that specific solution or technology area. And then normally the, the corporation would go through the process of signing some sort of NDA or legal agreement, which um, for some corporations can be a very tedious process as a lot of corporations sometimes have these 50 page, for example, MSA agreements, which they would put on a startup, which uh, doesn't work because a startup doesn't have the legal resources to actually go through all these, the, the legal paperwork. But, but yeah, it's, I say generally we, we like to make sure that they have a short kind of MSA or legal agreement uh, in place with the, the startups. It's very startup friendly. And uh, 
after that process has gone through, we, we really encourage the pilot or there to be pilots between the corporations and the startups. And if it works, uh, the pilot works, then they, they should scale it up uh, more and ultimately roll it out across uh, a larger area of the company. But uh, if it doesn't work, then to just end it and move on quickly. So we really encourage this kind of test and pivot uh, type of methodology and, uh, and ultimately cutting it out if, if it doesn't work at all. Final question for me, what would be the best piece of advice that you would give uh, a founder, co-founder, founding team of a startup in terms of making their idea successful? Just one. Uh, my advice is, yeah, is, is probably the most important thing for a startup, uh, assuming they're already passionate and really care about their product and working hard on it, is to be opportunistic, is to just keep an open mind and for example, really always listen to your customers. If you're finding a lot of traction in a market segment that you didn't think was a fit initially, just be open to kind of pivoting your business and, and ultimately scaling it and focusing on it where, where you're actually dra driving revenue. Because as a business that's hoping to scale, it's really important to generate that initial traction and things like revenue or, or, tr or kind of number of users or whatever the traction metrics are, those things are really important. and and to be able to demonstrate that to VCs and investors, that's something that uh, will really help them uh, from a metrics perspective when they're, when they're trying to grow. Mike, thank you so much. It's been, um, it's been extremely insightful. I'm sure a lot of the people uh, listening that want to go into the startup world or are already there, or uh, as well as people from the corporate side, and I know there's a lot of them in this um, time of change that are very much interested in innovation and, and making it happen and making this transformation happen. Found a lot of uh, interesting examples in your sharing and good luck um, at, at plug and play. Uh, good luck to continue to grow supply chain startups and, and help uh, overall the ecosystem innovate. And it's been a pleasure to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Radu. Really appreciate the time and, and get, getting some exposure for our program and for any uh, corporations, startups, or any anyone kind of in the innovation ecosystem that uh, plug and play, we're, we're an open innovation ecosystem, kind of like you, where we want to uh, work with a, a broad array of startups and just kind of know what startups are in the market. So feel free to reach out uh, to me on LinkedIn or uh, my email, which is mike at pnptc.com. Super. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me note and if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business of course contact us as well to find out how we can help